Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight for our study. We're opening to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We are going to look at a man to whom the Apostle Paul paid quite a, quite a, a good tribute. His name was Epaphroditus. And I think we'll be finishing off chapter 2 tonight. Imagine that. That means we're halfway through the book of Philippians. The joy book. It certainly has a lot of joy in it. And I think that that is a missing ingredient in many Christian lives. I think the reason is because we tend to get too focused on life and problems of life. And after a while it gets you down. It can't help but. That's why we need to keep our eyes on, on the Savior, a coming Savior. We need to keep our eyes on heaven and rewards in heaven. We need to keep our eyes on the power of God. And that will help to uh, lift our heavy hearts. And so, let's uh, ask the Lord to uh, bless and instruct us tonight as we uh, take a look at a wonderful man of God that if he were alive today, oh, boy, I tell you, He'd be in demand in churches all over the world. Everyone would want Epaphroditus to come and be the guest speaker at their church. He'd be in constant demand, this amazing man of God. Let's begin with prayer now. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this marvelous book. Well, the entire Bible, of course, but here the book of Philippians is an amazing book. And there's so much uh, joy and goodness there for us. And Lord, as we're in finishing up chapter, chapter 2, please help and continue to instruct us in Christian living. Lord, please help us to keep our eyes on our Savior. The world is sure getting worse and dark. More wars and rumors of wars. More atrocities. Lord, things aren't exactly getting easier for us here in this country, are they? We ask you please to, to help us to remember that this world is not our home and that we're left here for a purpose, to do a job, a work for you. And so strengthen us to that, to that end and help prepare our hearts for a season of prayer. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a man named Epaphroditus Anyone have any idea what that name means? Epaphrodite. Does anyone here know of a human being alive today by the name of Epaphrodite? I, I don't. I just know of the Epaphroditus here in the Bible. Um, his name essentially means charming. You might say he's a prince charming. But that's just my opinion only. Um, the name, I've, I've tried to uh, look into it. It's a very interesting name. And the, uh, the main root word in the name seems to speak of foaming, like the, how the sea foams up. And uh, there's an association there also with uh, Aphrodite, if you've ever heard that name. That was the name of a pagan goddess of love. But again, these things kind of mutate a bit, you know, from one nation to another. Um, but Epaphroditus was a somewhat of a common name back then, 2,000 years ago, meaning uh, charming. 
But uh, this man risked his life. He risked his health to help carry this love offering from the church at Philippi to a Roman prison and bring it to Paul. If you look at chapter 4, verse 18, he's mentioned again here. Paul writes, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Bear in mind that this was a church giving to a missionary, is what this is. When we look after our missionaries and support them and pray for them and help them, it pleases God well. And then God is pleased to bless our church and to bless us as individuals within the church. So that's pretty exciting. But Epaphroditus is um, spoken of here. In fact, Paul pays quite a tribute to Epaphroditus. We'll be looking at verses 25 through to verse 30. We're going to finish off the, the chapter here. And um, again, he was an amazing man. There's three things I, I want to bring out tonight about this man. Number one, he was balanced. Not everyone in life is balanced. You know that. And some people get way overbalanced and they major on the minors. And some people, they spend their whole life, you know, at a, straining at a gnat and they swallow a camel. They're not balanced. Uh, but Epaphroditus was a man who was balanced. Look at verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then he calls him my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. There's three sort of titles, almost compliments here, that Paul gives to Epaphroditus. When he says that Epaphroditus is my brother, there's a fellowship there, a fellowship in Christ. You know, that's a wonderful thing to be able to call someone brother or sister in the Lord. Um, wow, it just, it just gives us a, a sense of uh, a comfort and hope and joy just to have a, a Christian brother or a sister nearby. And Epaphroditus was quite a blessing to Paul, and he was able to have fellowship with him, and this is why I think he referred to him as my brother, because they had this bond in Christ, this fellowship. Then he calls him my companion in labor. And uh, the labor will involve several things, but the main labor, the main job of the apostle was to win souls and get churches started, and then God used him also to write the scriptures about 13 of the New Testament books, I might add. He was a prolific writer. Great man of God. But my companion in labor, uh, we could say that he was a fellow soul winner because he was. he was. He was concerned about the souls of men and women. And to be able to say that about someone is a, is a high compliment, that so-and-so is a soul winner. And um, my companion in labor, I'm trying also to win souls, and here's someone else trying to uh, win souls as well. Now, no doubt, the uh, labor also involved um, the trials and tribulations, and that's why I think we have the third um, acclamation here, my fellow soldier. And when we, we think of that, we think of warfare and spiritual battle and suffering as well. Uh, no one likes to suffer. No one that I'm aware of likes to suffer. Maybe there's some people that just really, you know, 
get off on suffering. But generally, we don't like to suffer, do we? We like things to go well for us. We like to have uh, peaceable lives and prosperous lives. We like that. But you know, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And soul winners suffer persecution. People that try to help others, I mean actively try to help others to get saved, the devil is going to try and persecute them, to try and shut them down. Remember, Satan is going to try to shut you down. If he can't keep you from getting saved, he's going to keep you from growing and keep you from serving God. He's going to try and shut you down. And how's he going to do that? Well, there's various ways he could do it. One way is to try and make you sick. Another way is to try and bring in uh, trials and tribulations and, and have um, uh, Aunt Matilda get all upset and bent out of shape and mad at you. Uh, maybe have the dog uh, bark at you. Um, maybe some other kind of uh, way. Here's, here's a thought. Uh, he uses a lot of fear and chases a lot of Christians with fear. No doubt about it. He also tries to get Christians to sin so that it breaks their fellowship with God and brings a lot of guilt in on their heart and soul so that they feel ashamed. They don't feel worthy to even read the Bible and pray. Boy, the devil is one, hasn't he? If he can chase us away from the Bible and from the prayer closet, he's got us. Absolutely got us. You know, some people say, oh, pray. I'm talking about Christians now. Oh, pray. I, I can't pray. I, I, I've committed sins. I can't pray. Yeah. You know, that's like saying, oh, I can't go to the hospital. I'm sick. You know, there's no way I could go to the hospital. I'm a sick man. Well, that's what the hospital is for. And that's what our prayer closet's for is to get us close to God who can fix that sin problem. And even habitual sins, God is able to smack those things down and, and keep those lions in the cage. God is able to do all that. And the old devil knows it. And so he likes to chase us away and close us down, shut us down. And there have been Christians that have lived for the Lord and, and done great things, good things only to run into trials and tribulations and problems and so on, and they give up. And then they just sit quietly and do nothing. The devil's won. And so Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier, because as he was serving the Lord, as he was being a, a great brother and uh, taking part in the work and being a, a good soul winner, he was experiencing the spiritual battle. And I'm sure he had the, the scars to prove Paul bore in his body many physical marks where they uh, uh, stoned him and uh, beat him. And, uh, 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 you know, he got bit by a serpent and all kinds of things that happened to him. And he had, he had a, a history of marks on his body where he could tell you, well, I got this when I was over here. And then when I was, then I got, that's how I got this one and roll up his sleeve. I got this one here when I was trying to win a soul to Christ in the market square and so on. So he had these marks in his body, but you don't necessarily have to have marks in your body. You can have marks on your heart. You can go through a lot of uh, tough times emotionally and mentally. And that's all part of the battle. In some countries, Christians are persecuted physically, aren't they? They're beaten and they're chased into hiding. Um, in this country, the devil can't do that to us. But he does try and shut us down different ways. Um, peer pressure. Uh, pressure at work and at school to uh, hide your 
your light under a bushel. Uh, all kinds of uh, uh, clever little ways the devil has. The bottom line is always the same. It shut us down. And Epaphroditus was a man who experienced uh, some of the trials and tribulations. And I think that he just kept on going. I think this is one reason why the apostle loved him. Because Epaphroditus wasn't a quitter. He was a brother and a companion and a fellow soldier. I believe that all three are important. Not just for Epaphroditus. Not just for a missionary. Not just for a pastor. But for every Christian. I think all three are very important. I don't know how you see yourself tonight before the Lord. Maybe you see yourself in a weaker image. And maybe you think, well, I can't do anything for God. There's nothing special that I can do. I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of a nobody sort of a Christian. I'll have you know that in the family of God, there are no nobodies. Everyone, every member of the family of God is worthy. We learn that when we celebrate the table of the Lord once a month. Those that are not worthy are those that are unsaved. There's nothing worthy in them, nothing um, worth keeping. That's why they end up in hell when they die. For you and I that are saved, we have Christ in us. I know we've got some problems and some, some weak areas. I know that. I understand that. I understand that we fail the Lord numerous times. I know that. We're far from perfect. We're not as, as um, upright and strong and perfect as we wish we were. But notice as we wish we were. See, unsaved people tend not to have any kind of wish to be uh, godly and holy and above reproach and sin. That's just not them. That's not where they live. But that's what we want as believers. We want for, for greater things for the Lord and for our lives. And so maybe you're discounting your value and you shouldn't do that because there, there is tremendous worth in you. If you're saved, you have Christ in you. And there's a tremendous value there. God has placed the, uh, the omnipotence of the Trinity literally at our disposal if we'll live for the Lord, if we'll do it His way and, and live right for Him. Uh, God has supplied everything that we need in order to live our lives for Him. And the devil doesn't want us to know that. He wants us to think, oh, we've, we've grown as much as we can. We can't get any higher. This is it. This is our spiritual level and it's down low. And so that's just the way I am. It's going to have to be that way until I get home to heaven. I'm never going to be a great Bible student. I'm never going to be a great prayer warrior. I'm never going to be a great soul winner. I'll never be this. I'll never be that. Listen, Jesus didn't teach us that. What he taught us was with God, all things are possible. That's what he taught us. And also, the Bible teaches us it never was in us to do great things. Never. We can't do it. It's only as we yield to the Lord. God is actually looking for people who feel weak in the flesh and weak in self-confidence. So that they, they're the ones that know. They know they don't have the strength. And that if anything good happens, it's got to be God who does it through them. That's the kind of, this kind of labor God's looking for. And so that, that could apply to any of us. So these qualities here about being a balanced Christian, very important. A brother, a companion in labor, and a fellow soldier. If you just pick one of those, well, I don't like the, the soldier part. That's too scary. So I won't do that. And the laboring part, winning souls, 
Yeah, I'm not a good soul winner. But I can, I'll be the brother. How about that? And uh, uh, 33 and a third percent. That'll be me. And I'll be the best brother you've ever known. Well, that's unbalanced, my friend. That is unbalanced. You know, we, we say that we need essentially our three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And I know people dispute that. I know that. There are people that um, call themselves one meal a day, O-M-A-D, OMADs, one meal a day. And there's some uh, good reason in that too. But generally speaking, we tend to think of a breakfast, uh, lunch, and a, and a dinner, figuring there's a balanced day. And someone says, well, I'm just going to forget about lunch and dinner. I'm going to be a breakfast man. And I'm going to be the best breakfast man you've ever seen. I'm going to have steak and eggs and bacon and toast and orange juice and coffee and rice. Can't forget that. And cod liver oil. Wish we could forget that. And you say, wow, you're not going to eat anything else? Just breakfast? That's all you're going to eat? Yep. Well, that sounds a little unbalanced. There's all kinds of ways to unbalance ourselves in life. And as a Christian, we have to be balanced. And we need to be a good brother or sister and a good laborer and a good fellow soldier. There's the balance, folks. And Epaphroditus hit the nail right on the head. Bang. Um, as I say, it's easy to get off balance. And there's a lot of churches that don't say, for example, get involved with missions. They, uh, they, oh, well, we can't afford it, and we don't know what they're doing with the money over there anyhow, so we just won't get involved with mission. Um, there's a story, a humorous story, about a church that uh, was going to um, uh, really specialize in feeding the, the sheep and big fellowships and all kinds of things like that. And so they decided they were going to call them the, themselves the Jesus-only church. And so they spent a lot of money getting this sign with all these individual letters, J-E-S-U-S-O-N-L-Y, I've got to think to spell it right here, and C-H-U-R-C-H, the Jesus Only Church. And they were very proud of that. And they're having their fellowships. And um, anyhow, one day, a strong wind, almost a tornado, came into town. And it was uprooting some trees and causing havoc. And anyhow, it blew the first three letters of their sign off the wall so that instead of saying Jesus only, it said us only. <laughs> and I'm afraid that that is a pretty accurate description of many a church. Us only, church. That's, that's a pretty good description, isn't it? They're not concerned about the lost around them. They're not concerned about the lost around the world. It's just us only. They used to say, us for no more. That is unbalanced. We need to be balanced, brothers and sisters, in the Lord. And Epaphroditus had it. Bang. Number two, um, Epaphroditus was not only balanced, but he was burdened as well. And uh, look at verses 26 and uh, 27, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye, ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him 
and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Boy, there are days that happens. We, not, we get sorrow, not just sorrow, but sorrow upon sorrow. Job had it. He got the news of horrible losses, and then he got the news of more horrible losses, and then he got the news of even more horrible losses, including his children. All his wealth was wiped out. His children were killed. There's sorrow upon sorrow. And none of us are immune. And Paul was so very thankful to God that God spared him from having sorrow upon sorrow. And look at uh, also verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. You see, it's the job of a church. Really, it's the job of a church to look after the missionaries, to get the gospel around the world through missionaries. That's, that's the job of the church. The church of Philippi had that job to look after the missionary Paul. And they did it through Epaphroditus. That's how they got the job done. It's our job to take the gospel around the world. And we do that through the missionaries. But we need to look after the missionaries. If you've adopted a missionary, may I ask you, have you supported your missionary today in prayer? Have you spent time on your knees or on your face before God praying for your missionary? Because that's your job. It's important that we, we understand this. Getting back to Epaphroditus, he was a man with a burden. Like Timothy, he was concerned about others. Now we studied uh, about Timothy here uh, in, this, uh, in this chapter and how Paul said that, uh, um, let's see, in verse 22, but you know the proof of him, reference to Timothy, that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. There's that service aspect again, a fellow laborer. There's the gospel. That's why Epaphroditus was involved with the gospel and he was a soul winner. You see that? Verse 20, Again, reference to Timothy, Paul said, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. This is a burden that Timothy carried on his heart as Epaphroditus carried on his heart. Many scholars believe that Epaphroditus was actually the pastor of the church at Philippi. He may well have been. There's another name in the New Testament, uh, uh, Epaphras, and then there's Epaphroditus. And uh, some seem to think that it's one and the same person, but there's no evidence for that. Anyhow, Epaphroditus is the, the man that seems to have a burden. And um, Paul had needs, and Epaphroditus said, if no one else can go, I'll go. And so he was burdened for the missionary Paul, and he went to his side, and he brought the gift, and he labored there with Paul and, and helped him there. And um, let's see here. In verse uh, 26, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. You know, this phrase is sort of used of the Lord Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can read it later in Matthew 26. And how that, the heaviness came upon the Lord Jesus there. And we know... A little, anyhow, that it had to do with the weight of the, the sin of the world as it was 
coming upon him and, and the gravity of the situation and how he would be uh, nailed to the cross. He knew he had to go through the horrible uh, physical abuse. He knew all of that. But I think that that was the minor part. It was the weight of the sin of the world and being separated from God the Father for the first time ever, ever in all eternity. He had never been separated from the Father. Now he was going to be separated from the Father. All of this began to come upon him and there was a tremendous sense of heaviness. If you've ever had a burden in life, a real burden, you'll know the heaviness on your heart. Maybe it involved a loved one. Maybe it in, in, involved someone very close to you. Uh, possibly it was uh, you going through the, uh, the trial and the whole thing was just a real heavy on you. And so, um, verse 26, we see that Epaphroditus was burdened because he had this, this heaviness. Now, something I want you to see though about Epaphroditus. Uh, he lived his life more or less in chapter 1, verse 21. Take a look at that, would you? Let's read that verse out loud together. Chapter 121, read out loud. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now Paul said it, but I think he echoed the sentiments of Epaphroditus' heart. Because what we know about Epaphroditus, that's right up his alley. That, that, that sounds very much like him. He, he would live his life in 121 as opposed to 221. Chapter 2, verse 21. Let's read that out loud together, everyone. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. You see the difference between those two verses? 121 and 221? Where do you fall tonight? On which verse do you park you know, yourself? Where, where are you sitting tonight? In 121 or in 221? Which one is it? Epaphroditus. I believe was a man who was living in 121, not 221. He knew that sacrifice and service are the two, two of the earmarks of a godly life for Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to repeat that. Sacrifice and service are two of the earmarks of a godly life for Jesus Christ. Any Christian has the free will to go through life any way he or she sees fit. You can either obey the Lord or disobey the Lord. It comes down to a matter of that, doesn't it? God has a perfect will for our lives. His perfect will for my life, the general principles may be the same as His perfect will for your life, but the individual details may be different. But the bottom line is, He has a perfect will for our lives. And again, you may think that, oh, I'm a nothing, I can't sing or dance for the Lord or do much. Hey, God has a perfect will perfect will for your life. And that perfect will is going to involve being a balanced Christian, like Epaphroditus. A brother in the Lord for fellowship, or sister in the Lord for fellowship, a fellow laborer for service, and a fellow soldier. And that's where the suffering comes in. And sacrifice and service are two of the hallmarks, two of the earmarks of a godly life for Jesus. If there's no sacrifice in your life, you're not living for Jesus. If there's no service in your life, you're not living for Jesus. Oh, pastor, I take exception to that. I, 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 I think you're wrong. Yeah, you can think I'm wrong. That's fine. I have no problem with that. 
But show me from the scripture where it says we can just lay back, you know, in comfy beds of ease and float our way to heaven. Show me in the Bible where it says that uh, our, our lives are supposed to be nice and peaceful and without trouble and trial and tribulation and uh, we don't have to lift a little finger. You show me in the Bible. I've read through the Bible many, many times. I can't find it. But what I do find is God's will to serve and to sacrifice. That's what I find. Now I see it in the life of Epaphroditus here. And so, number one, he was balanced. Balanced. He was a balanced believer. A brother for fellowship, a fellow laborer in the gospel, and a fellow soldier with the, the suffering that comes part of living for Jesus. Number two, he was burdened. He had a great burden for the, the ministry, for the people at Philippi, for the apostle as a missionary, for the work of God that was going on. And number three, he was a blessing. He was a blessing. And we see this, we'll pick up in verse 28. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Pause for a moment. This book of Philippi, Paul wrote it, but how did it get back to Philippi? What do you think? How did it get to Philippi? Did he email it? No, didn't email it. How did he get it to Philippi? It was sent. Someone had to carry it. Who was it that carried it? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Most possibly the, the pastor of the church at Philippi came back with uh, tales to be told and, and uh, news to be shared and updates on the, on the apostle and missionary and this letter. And he's the one who brought it back. And no doubt Epaphroditus probably read it to the church. The church all gathered together. Philippi was a great church. They gathered together there. Maybe it was at night and they had a candle, a few candles going or something. And he reads this letter. So verse 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Because remember, they heard that he was just about dead. And they were all kind of grieving inside. No, and praying, I'm sure. And Paul was grieving because... You know, one of his best friends, Epaphroditus, was literally dying before his eyes. And the church was sorrowing. There's the sorrow upon sorrow. And so uh, God raised him back up to health. He didn't die. He got healthy again. And so um, Paul wrote this letter, gave it to Epaphroditus, and sent him on his way, knowing that when he gets back, there's going to be a big welcome party home. Boy, they're going to be happy. That's pretty cool, huh? Verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. What a tragedy not to be a blessing. Epaphroditus was a blessing to Paul. He was a blessing to his church. You know, every one of us can be a blessing. You know that. We can if we'll do it God's way, we can be a great blessing. What a tragedy to live our lives and not be a blessing. Now think about that. 
Are you a blessing to other Christians? They say that there are two types of people generally. The people that, you know, when they see you coming, they say, Hooray! Here they come! And then, then there's the situation where when you, you're leaving, they're saying, Hooray! They're leaving us! <laughs> Away they go! You know, which category? When you show up, you bring a joy to people's hearts. Are you a blessing to them? You make people happy when you show up or do you make people happy when you leave? Epaphroditus made people happy when he showed up. Paul was happy. His home church was thrilled. They had a party when he showed up. What a tragedy it is not to be a blessing to to someone. Now in verse 29, I just want to point something out. Paul wrote, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, And then he wrote these words, and hold such in reputation. There's nothing wrong with receiving an honor. Give honor to whom honor is due. Epaphroditus was a man that served, and we can see here in these verses how he gave himself, not regarding his own life, and he almost died in his service for the Lord. And uh, the apostle was, was giving him a, a rich honor. There is nothing wrong with that. In fact, um, keep your finger there, please, in Philippians, and turn to the right. Just a few pages, you'll find First uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, chapter five. <clears throat> Paul wrote to uh, the church at Thessalonica, and it's a tremendous book. And we need to study this, 1 Thessalonians, one day. But look what he says in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That would be perhaps the pastors. And admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. And so here, the apostles talking about um, an honor to, uh, to those that are laboring amongst you. There's nothing wrong with receiving an honor. That's all right. That's biblical. But... Um, If you just go back again, please, to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish off here. If there's an honor on earth, you can be sure there's an honor in heaven. If there's a proper biblical honor on earth, then you can be absolutely certain there is a proper biblical honor up in the courts of heaven. And God is very pleased with Epaphroditus. Paul gave him a, a wonderful accolade here. A wonderful, uh, rich honor here in verse 29. To receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. And you can be absolutely sure that God was greatly pleased with Epaphroditus. Folks, we have to remember that our lives belong to Christ. Not to ourselves and not to this world. 
Our lives belong to Jesus Christ because we've been purchased with His precious blood. We are no longer children of the devil, destined and bound for the pit of hell for eternity. We're children of Almighty God, purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to Him. We're purchased possessions is what we are. And this world is definitely not our home. God may have blessed you with good health, maybe good friends, maybe a good job and income, maybe a good reputation, maybe many good things. Hey, fine, no problem. But remember that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. You wouldn't have these things had God not given them to you. Ho, ho, but I worked hard for it. You wouldn't get anywhere if God hadn't given it to you. You are where you are because God has been so good to you. And if God has blessed you with, with anything that's really nice. Maybe some of us here tonight, maybe some of us have a nice car. Some others might have a nice house. Some others might maybe have nice food. Or the ability to go out to restaurants more than others. Maybe there's some other opportunities. Things that we just say, wow, wow, wow. Well, these things come from God. Everything, all good gifts, all perfect gifts come from God. And so, what God wants for us is to recognize that they're good gifts, but not keep our eyes on them. Don't get your eyes on the gift. Get your eyes on the giver of the gift. Because these things we have, we can lose them. You can lose your house. You can lose your car. You can lose your job. You can lose your health. You can lose all of your friends. Just ask Job. It could happen to any of us. Every one of us here tonight, we look good. We look good. You might think, oh, I don't know about me. Oh, boy. Where was I when they handed out the good looks? Uh, well, no, you look good. I'll tell you what. There are people in this world that really don't look good. They really don't look good. Some of them have the weirdest diseases and their skin on their face is all caked over with barnacles. They really look like the, the bottom of a, the hull of a ship that's been out in the water too long. It's just caked with barnacles. Some kind of growth and, and things on their, their hands have enlarged and so on. If you've ever heard of the elephant man of the 1800s, that guy was stricken with a horrible disease. I believe he was a Christian though from what I know of his life. But he died young. His head enlarged so big that uh, he literally died of a broken neck uh, in the middle of the night. This is what I've read, how he died, the elephant man, over in England. And he was a young man, but he lifted his head somehow in the middle of the night and it, it kind of went off to one side and snapped his neck and he suffocated and died. You and I, we look good, folks. We really look good. You can lose it. You can lose it. And you don't need a disease to lose it either. Someone could break into your home and beat you with a baseball bat and you will look different. They beat Jesus so much that he didn't look like Jesus. Right? Everything we have, it's a gift of God. God asks us to live for him. Epaphroditus is a good example. 
He was a balanced man and a burdened man. And he was a blessing, is what he was. And what I'm advocating tonight is Epaphroditus, I think, got this way. He wasn't born this way. I think he got this way because he believed he was a man on a mission. He wasn't a man on a vacation. He didn't leave Philippi and go to Rome on a vacation. He went on a mission. And that's what kept him faithful. And that's what helped him through the tough times. And that's what made him to understand that when he pays a sacrifice in serving the Lord, that it greatly blesses others and God, and God blesses that back to him. You and I who are looking for flowery beds of ease to live our lives out on and sail away off to heaven, you know, with the rapture, we just don't get it. That the way to godly living is service and sacrifice. Aphrodite has got it. He was a man on a mission. You and I can live for Jesus and be a blessing to others and come out on top, just like Epaphroditus. What a great guy, amen. Epaphroditus, guy's name means charming. Any Christian that would live like this is charming. Did you know that in God's eyes, holiness is beautiful? Did you know that? Some people, they, they look at a car and they say, that's an ugly car. And they look at another car and say, oh, that's a beautiful car. Some people look at a house and say, it's an ugly house. They look at another house. Oh, it's a beautiful house. Some girls look at guys and some guys look at girls and say, oh, ugly. And then they look at others. Oh, beautiful. But God looks for holiness. And when he sees holiness, God says, Beautiful. Holiness is living God's way. It's doing it God's way. That's what holiness is. Let's be holy people. Amen? Let's bring God honor and glory and make Him happy and live our lives for Him. Like Epaphroditus. Let's pray.